The opinions and views expressed in this video are purely for entertainment purposes and not for investment advice. Welcome back, YouTubers, to another episode of Jack of All Trades. We got a full crew here today. We got Kaylin, we got Brandon, Sam, and of course, I'm obviously here. Um, we're gonna talk about uh, the market update real quick, and uh, going from there. Brandon, what do you have for us? Yeah, so this week in the markets, the S&P and NASDAQ closed at fresh all-time record highs while the Dow Jones and TSX lagged due to the continued sector rotation that we've been seeing. Uh, when you look at the market internals a little bit closer, though, they haven't been as bullish as price has indicated. If you look at market breadth, it hasn't been great. We're seeing less and less names making new highs, and we're being led by a smaller group of companies. For example, we're no longer being led by the financials and the energy stocks and the materials. Um, uh, again, we've been um, really um, advocating for that sector rotation from value to growth stocks. And instead, we've been led by large capitalization technology companies, especially names that make their money in advertising, such as Facebook, Alphabet, Microsoft, um, uh, Snapchat, Twitter. Uh, it's definitely something to watch. You can see it in the earnings we saw this past week. Um, what did you guys think about the earnings, by the way? Because we had names like Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, all these names in the financial sector. They reported better than expected earnings and the names, uh, you know, gapped up at the open, but they really weren't able to have a sustained rally. We saw like upper wicks. We saw a little bit of projection on high volume. And um, at this point, that definitely is a red flag. We definitely expected it. Uh, if you look at a name like United Airlines, they um, you know delivered a, a solid quarter despite everything going on. Uh, and uh, the name has been experiencing a little bit of weakness as of late. Uh, it broke its 200 day as support. And as we know, uh, you know, you break support and you have that change in polarity and support turns to resistance. So gapped up. Uh, had a couple days testing that 200 day moving average. Now it's moving lower. And in my view, if there is any credence to this Delta strain and there's any, um, you know, volatility to be experienced because of, you know, um, increased coronavirus fears in the markets, personally, I don't think you want to own the airline. Yeah. The um, yeah. I think the, uh, the volatility is definitely because of the Delta, but um and I think the fundamentals do stack up that way. But I'm going to ask Kaylin though, like if you're looking at the charts, just since, since you don't look into the fundamentals a lot of the times, if you're just looking at the chart, does it look um, a little bearish to you? Like just overall in the markets? The overall in the markets. And then if you, if you wanted to pull up just the airline real quick, just to take a look. So you, like um, the markets would be interesting, but I would be more interested to hear Kalen on a stock specific basis. Yeah. Like I would love Kalen to look at two names, Goldman Sachs for one and United airlines, because you have like a big cap, um, sort of uh, consumer discretionary industrial, whatever you want to call the airlines. I don't even know what to call it at this point. And then, you know, a big cap financial, um, that obviously is not benefiting from a flattening yield curve. And of course, uh, you know, whatever's going on in the investment banking space. Yeah. So I'm looking at, uh, yeah, I'm looking at United Airlines right now on the chart and it definitely looks like really bearish to me just from, just purely from technicals. I mean, if you draw that up, like Brendan said, we kind of bounce off the 200. Like I would have been like, I, this thing's bearish to me at this point, unless it reclaims 52. 
Like if it gets right up over 52 and holds that, which is probably going to be right around where the 50 day moving average is once it gets there, that's when I would, you know, maybe consider flipping. But as far as the way I'm seeing it right now, like, I mean, if it pops up a little higher, even if it got towards like 50 and a half or like 51, that could still be somewhere that I would add short if I was playing this, to be honest. Like right, right now, the way it's looking, I think we're coming down to 40 bucks. If that breaks, we'll come down to, you know, 32.50. And if that breaks, you could go right back down to the lows around 20 bucks. So it'll just depend kind of how the how the delta string goes out. I think that's a big big factor on that. But those are definitely the support levels right now. How about and what the, you uh, the of Goldman? Yeah. GS. Sorry. What are you making of Goldman? GS. GS. Oh, Jalen, could you mind uh, clicking share screen on the uh, Google? So take a look too. I, I had oh. mine shared. That's why. Oh, you got yours up? No, I had mine up. So I was blocking you. But if you could share yours now, like uh, it'll be pretty cool. Oh, okay. Yeah. But, but, I was, but I was going to say, like, to Brendan's point, I think the airline and the bank are are kind of nice bellwethers for, for the market, right? You have the financials and you have travel, so it's a nice sentiment indicator. So right. they're a really nice uh, bellwether. Uh, oh. I would also add the energy names. I'd add maybe a name like ExxonMobil in that. And if, you know, we want to have more of a Canadian spin, we could obviously look at the XEG, which is the uh, uh, TSX cap energy index uh in canada um and just anything like that an industrial an airline um material names we can look at copper um but yeah gs and uh, if you want to pop up something energy yeah so if we look at um what are we looking at united airlines i'll show you guys that one again here cool yeah so if we look at united airlines like i just drew this line at the bottom here um, this is usually kind of the way that I look at stuff. I mean, you know, you have a big tank like this, obviously that was 2020. Uh, this is just on the daily line chart. So this, like, this is a really nice clean up trend line right there all the way across. And then this is really nice too. When you get like this kind of base right here, if you look at that, like you have this horizontal line right here where it kind of got over, you know, broke these two highs, got over this and it bounced off it, you know, quite a few times before it finally broke back under and where it broke back under correlated pretty close to that uptrend line. So to me, like that, that becomes like a huge, huge area of interest right now. So like if I was shorting this, like I'd be looking, well, like, first of all, I would short this basic based on this pattern. And uh, like, you know, even the 200 day moving average, despite that, like even if it popped back up kind of into this area, like to me, that would be somewhere that I would add. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't be covering this thing until it got pretty much back over this like 52, 53 area, um, like right at this little base here. This is kind of like. You know, I look at this kind of like as the last defense before it before it really broke down. Right now, that's kind of 52. So that's that would be my main area. So I'd, I'd look right over this peak would be kind of my risk. So unless we got over this 52, 53 area and like held strong with volume, uh, to me, this thing's coming down. And, uh, let's pull up the bank too. Was it the Goldman you said? Yeah, yeah Goldman Sachs, just really yeah. quickly. I mean, I will tell you before we look at it that I've been watching a head and shoulders pattern form on Goldman. And it's just uh, trying to make some new highs, but it's just failing every time. Like this thing is running out of steam. Yeah. I mean, even just at first glance, you can see it kind of starting to round over a little bit, right? So, yeah, like where are we looking at here? Yeah, same kind of thing there, right? Like if you draw your line in like that, I like that one myself, but, you know, it comes up and then again, same sort of thing right here, right? Like if you look, combine your horizontal, you know, your horizontal breakout level right there. So we hit it a couple times on the top broke through and we kind of have a similar sort of thing on United Airlines, you know, <clears throat> bounced off that level, like right again, where these two lines intersect. 
and then it broke down through right so that that becomes you know that becomes a little bit of a bearish sign to me and now you can see like this one's gotten a, it's a little bit stronger than the american airlines or the united airlines but same thing that i was talking about on the other one you know i'm looking over this little this little top here you know that little last defense area and this is basically the same sort of thing you know it's it's topped right out at that level so it hasn't been able to reclaim a volume so this is where like me personally i'd be reshorting this and you know just taking profits and if it got up there again i'd reshort it again and then take more profits and then until that level actually reclaims it holds like it's just going to remain a short for me it looks like um there's a little bearish divergence on the on the last two peaks too on the rsi i would not be surprised it looks like like it looked like maybe uh end of june to mid july there's two peaks there and then so there we made two slightly higher highs on the price but lower lows slightly lower lows on the rsi Sorry, my mic is losing sound here. Yeah, so it's like losing. Um, yeah, I think it's uh, mid late June. That was like the two previous peaks of so late June um, and mid July. See, so you guys? Yeah, uh, those two right there. Yeah, so that one and yeah. the, the following one is lower. So then, but oh, yeah. we had slight, slightly higher price action. So there's a little bit of uh, losing momentum there. Yeah, these um, ones are going up just slightly. Yeah, yeah. And then the other these ones are going down, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, that'll probably end up. That looks a little bit bearish as well. And then maybe it'll come all the way back down to the two hundred, right? Who knows? So the interesting thing about this, if we can just put this all into perspective for our viewers here, is that we are looking at cyclical sectors, uh, sectors that typically lead the market higher during periods of really solid economic growth. And uh, if we can just pop up the S and P, Kalen, which is just SPX index. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting because we're like 13.5% stretched above our 50-week, which is the exact amount that we were above in September of 2020 when we had that first volatility event. It was the exact amount we were up in January of 2018 before that volatility event uh, due to the China trade wars. So 13.5%, 14%, we're getting to that level where we're stretched above our moving averages. We're being led by less and less names, I think you want to be with quality here. You want to stick with the non-cyclicals as we've been advocating on this show since I came on in like late March. And you don't want to be in these sectors that are at risk, especially with all of the potential risks facing the markets right now. I mean, there's a ton, um, but there's also names that really stand to benefit uh names like we were listing last time like the facebook's the amazon's the microsoft's um so that's definitely uh one thing to watch uh going into this week we have a slew of earnings this could be the most significant week for earnings that uh we'll have this uh, entire earnings season um we have uh, essentially all of the heavy hitters uh, especially in technology we have uh, apple tesla amazon microsoft facebook google um i think that generally these names should beat they should probably raise guidance they should beat on the top and bottom line the thing i'm curious about is how is the market reaction going to be mm -hmm. that's a good question um tesla's actually been trading sideways and down um even though we're even i'm expecting a, a an earnings beat apple looks like it's been trending up though but um i don't know do you see anything in the market scaling from the small caps just curious because i I like to think of that as like a bellwether for like the overall market. Like if the small caps are popping, then we, Brendan, we were talking earlier that it looks like risk might be coming back to the market. So that could help with the uh, the earnings pop. Well, 
the only thing that I'll say to that is I think for these large cap, big secular growers, it's actually the opposite. Like there were periods in like 2016, there were periods in like, you know, 2019 where uh, the small caps were like, they were huge underperformers and huge losers. And you just saw the flows go towards the things that were going to benefit regardless of what, you know, the economic picture looks like. Like I've noticed, uh, you know, I noticed the same thing in 2013. I've, I've just noticed where the small caps are actually like lagging indicators, which is interesting. Mm. Um, me personally, I, I, I wouldn't be, um, I wouldn't be a like proponent of investing in small caps right now. I mean, trading is one thing like what Kaylin does, but in terms of actually investing, like you want to be with these, uh, you know, like these stable companies, especially when you're noticing less and less companies, you know, trading above their 50s and less and less companies. You know, when you look at like an advanced decline index, you definitely want to be with the market leaders. Oh, I, I agree with that. I was just saying um, I, I was I was trying to test this new idea based on Kalen's perspective of this uh, small caps. Like, because I, I think I have a thesis that when the small caps are like. So when Kaylin, you when you do your scans and you see a, a stock and you think, okay, when it, it's probably gonna like gap up on the open, like, and it doesn't happen, for me, I read that as like the market sentiment's probably kind of low, risk risk averse. But then when it does pop and one of your plays plays out exactly as as you've seen it, then I tend to think that the market's like healthy. So I don't know. What you I definitely want to hear Kaylin's view, but I just want to disagree with that for one second because the people <laughs> that are investing in Amazon, the people that have thirty five hundred dollars, thirty seven hundred dollars US, and they want to buy Amazon for the long term growth prospects and the thirty five percent year over year um, increase in uh, earnings per share. I mean, they're not the same people that are buying some junky small cap company like that's trading like a dollar per share. That's like up like. 20% on the market open because of some like bogus, like uh, PR article, like it's a completely different investor base. And like the support on a company like Amazon, a company that's been trading, you know, at this level for like the past year and the investor base is super, super solid. It doesn't have the same amount of support that a, a small cap, like, you know, stupid small cap name is. I mean, what do you, what do you think about that, Kalen? Yeah, I have to, Kalen's. Yeah, I kind of, I kind of disagree with with both of you to a certain degree. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, like so, it's it's kind of weird because, like, like from what I've seen in small caps, they kind of like, like I see what you're saying, Brandon. Like, if you're looking like an actual small cap indicator, like how how they're actually growing long term, I don't think that really has any correlation to the broader markets because of what you're saying. Because you know, the people that are investing in that aren't. You know the people putting money in Amazon or the S and P or whatever, like that's that's pretty obvious, right? Um, but so like we, you know, I've talked about this before, and that the small caps they kind of move in waves, right? And like the waves kind of come in different lengths of time. So like you might have say like a month or six weeks where you know they're just insane. Like I might be seeing you know 20, 30, 40 stocks on my scanner every single day of the week for a month, and then all of a sudden over the course of like you know two, three weeks, it dips off to where I only have like four stocks that are in play. And none of them are even that good. And then it'll sit like that for another few weeks or a month and then it comes back. But um, one thing I have noticed, though, is that I think I think the overall market uh, sentiment really feeds into that because there's a lot of people like the people that are playing like the smaller companies that I'm playing, um, you know, like the people that are chasing these junkie stocks up because they want to make 100 percent a day kind of thing. They don't really know like they don't know much about the market. So when the news and when the media and everything starts getting really excited and they're saying, oh, you know, this is way up, Amazon's through the roof, it's a bull market, this and that. I do see a lot more act 
activity in the small caps because all those other people that are uneducated and what it actually is are thinking, oh, the markets are on fire. Like if, you know, if this guy on CNN or CNBC is telling me that the the markets are going wild and everything's going to the to the roof and, you know, things are breaking out left, right and center. And then I see this little stock, you know, go up 50 percent pre-market. Well, I'm going to buy that because it's like, you know, it's a big bull market and everything's going to go to the moon. Right. So that's kind of that's where I see I see the magnitude of moves growing. So I don't think I don't think small caps and the large cap companies correlate in terms of when large caps are moving, it pulls the small caps with it. I think what happens, it's the magnitude of it. So like if 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 we're in a bear market, like I could still see two months of insane action in the small caps where like I can't even keep up with it. But usually the magnitude is smaller. So like whereas if I'm seeing, you know, in a big bull run, maybe I'm seeing stocks, you know, run one, two, three, four hundred percent over a couple of days. If it's a bear market, and even if small caps are busy, maybe they're only running, you know, 40, 50, 60 percent in a couple of days. So it's it's the it's the magnitude of those moves that kind of shift. But the actual like the small cap market is still its own little thing. It really doesn't. It correlates to a small degree, but not when you get those waves, like when they're busy, it doesn't necessarily mean that the markets overall are bullish or bearish or anything. It just you just kind of see more money flowing into it as opposed to when it actually happens, I guess, if that makes sense. Well, the thing about the small caps guys is like, I will confidently say that like the vast majority of these companies are like garbage companies. Like you look at a yeah. company that IPO'd in like 2012 or 2015 and it, you know, split adjusted, it IPO'd at a price of like, you know, $10,000 a share. And here it is at like five or $10 a share. And like, yeah, like there's like a tradable uh, move that you have, Kaylin, especially on the short side when like the charts kind of just like moving like that, just making a series of, you know, lower highs and lower lows type thing. But I think small caps that are really good companies, they end up advancing, they end up graduating. They're no longer small caps. They turn to mid caps and they turn to large caps. And we've seen this happen so many times. So, um, you know, when you look at something like the Russell 2000, like that's, um, you know, um, uh, index that's performed very, very well. But like when we talk about small caps, like the Russell 2000, which is known as a small cap index, I'm going to argue and say it's more of like a mid cap index because a lot of those companies on the Toronto exchange on the TSX would be considered larger cap companies. Mm -hmm. But then when you look at something like the TSX venture exchange, which has underperformed vastly ever since I started really, you know, uh, working in financial markets, like in 2012, it has just underperformed. Like it has been probably the biggest dog out of any index that I've ever, that I've ever seen. Um, and, you know, a lot of these companies are just like, you know, small cap companies and, you know, blockchain and, you know, crude oil, energy, materials, gold, uh, cannabis. Um, so like any companies that's just sort of, um, you know, trying to, you know, raise some money and play some sort of hype sector companies that are losing money, small, you know, micro cap companies. Uh, so, you know, when we talk about small caps, it's, I, I guess, kind of a little bit of an ambiguous term. Um, and yeah, I, I do definitely agree with the stuff that you're saying, but we just have to make sure that we're on the same page. Yeah, no, I was actually looking at it as a, from a completely different perspective. I was looking at it like um, almost like a laggy indicator, look like any indicator on the on trading view, right? If we see the overall markets going one direction and I see the, and I get Kaylin's feedback that the small caps seem to be, you know, reacting in a different way. I'm like, okay, this could be probably some, whatever's happening in the, in the large caps is probably, you know, just a large cap issue right but if small caps and large caps are both aligning like in like a really bearish sentiment kind of thing then i'm like okay the market's definitely like it's a confirmation right that's, yeah. that's what i'm looking at it as for 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 sure it's it's definitely a confirmation there but at the same time to just say oh uh 
you know, the stock market's up and the stock market's booming. I just, I don't think that you can say that without looking at like all of the internals in the market and looking at like what names are rallying, what percentage of names are rallying, uh, like the sectors and, uh, you know, uh, like looking at the VIX and looking at the dollar and looking at interest rates. I just feel like it's such a all encompassing thing, but definitely I think that you can confirm the both. And to Kaylin's point earlier, I just want to say whenever CNBC or BNN or any of these news sources are saying like the market's booming, everything's up, it's time to buy, like that just scares <laughs> the hell out of me. And that is not the time where any of our viewers should be doing anything. Um, but, um, you know, just trying to get more educated and try to make solid moves and just not to fall for, uh, you know, when there's a couple of, you know, solid days in the market, you'll see... Uh, you know, on these uh, television programs, you'll see like, you know, like green lights flashing, like market rally, market rally. And then when the market's down for a couple of days, you'll see like, you know, like a bear sort of rolling and like, uh, you know, uh, market sell off and like the red flashing lights. So we just, yeah, man, financial media, uh, just one thing that really irks me. Yes. I think uh, the financial media is like a very lagging indicator. (laughs) (laughs) You cannot have a more lagging indicator. It's like a real-time indicator. It's like, oh, this is happening, right? It's like, the, it's like the weather, you know, like the weather. You look at your weather, your weather network app, and it's like it says it's not raining, and then you look outside and it's raining, and then 20 minutes later they tell you it's raining. <laughs> Same kind of Why thing. do we need that though? Like, why do we need <sighs> to have that? We don't. I like. I honestly we can don't. say I haven't looked at any finance. I've never watched the financial news, and I've been trading for four years. Like, I just, I just, get, I get nothing from it except for stress and just second guessing myself. Yeah, I I, think, I, um, I feel the exact same way. By the way, I think yeah, we uh, we've we've all talked about Jim Cramer too. He's like he's a, he's quite an indicator himself. <laughs> yeah, I definitely have a I definitely have a ton of respect for Jim Cramer. Yeah, um, and I think he's a great um, you know showman, and I love his show Mad Money, and I love seeing him Squawk Alley and Squawk Box. Um, but lately, um, I don't know. I think he's just kind of pandering to get views. It's not so much an indication of his skills or his experiences. Just he just wants views, and I kind of understand that. Well, that's how but, it makes um, money, right? his, his business is to get that's, views. That's right. That's I mean, right. It's, you know. it's not to be right about the market anymore. It's about getting eyeballs. Yeah, that's how that's how he makes his money. So yeah, makes yeah. sense. Well, like he is in an interesting situation, though, because he, um, you know, often he'll do a whole mad money show on like basically like the principles of investing. And he'll be talking about like really, you know, sound fundamental analysis and how to, you know, have a diversified portfolio. And he'll have really like solid uh, market technicians come on a show. But at the same time, he has a lot of viewers talking about a lot of different names. He has to know a lot of different names and people, they come to him. They're like buy, hold or sell. And uh, on a show like that, I don't really think that you can say like NA, like I'm not going to say anything. Like he has to kind of make a view, make a stance and get those eyeballs. I'm sure that's what the producers want him to do too. So it's, uh, he's in a little bit of a interesting situation. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, I do want to switch gears though, guys. I want to talk about the Federal Reserve meeting. Uh, we have a meeting uh, that's taking place on Tuesday and Wednesday. And uh, while I do expect more of the same, I think we have to watch out in the Fed statement. And we just have to watch out for the addition or subtraction of certain words, especially anything relating to the Delta variant, because if there's literally just a sentence or one word, you know, taken out or added essentially to the, you know, status quo sort of uh, uh, sort of press release that they put out, I think that can definitely be market moving. What do you guys think? Caitlin, 
you 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 said was it the tenure that you said you was head, look, the charts was looking like it was heading towards the like 50 cents or 52 cents was it yeah, I keep looking at the tenure and i just i keep feeling like it's going to come right down like let me like yeah like it just I don't know. It just like it just looks like the perfect short setup to me. Like I would, I, if it was me, I would have ridden that thing down to fifty-two cents. Like all economics aside, make that very clear. Like just strictly on the chart pattern, yeah. you know, it looks it looks like hell. So <laughs> I love that you're saying that, by the way, because David and I, in private and then in public on the show, uh, called the top uh, for the U.S. tenure and the thirty-year yield, uh, which was great, and that was like one of uh, the premises of um, uh, switching from, you know, value to growth, which, which is great. And I, I do agree with your sentiment, Kaylin. I, I do think that uh, uh, this sort of uh, correction in, in yields is not over, but uh, more importantly, I think we have to look at the U S dollar guys. I think that if uh, you know, we do see yields fall that the U S dollar um, uh, could uh, invoke some sort of reaction. Uh, the U.S. dollar has been flexing its muscle lately. It's been putting itself in a really good position here. So let's look at the Dixie. Uh, it's just DXY. Yeah, let me pull that up. Pull that up, David? Or? Yeah, I'll, I'll pull it up. Okay, I'll stop sharing my screen there. Cool. Well, while I'm pulling that up, I just wanted to ask Brandon, from a fundamental perspective, what would cause the tenure to trade around 50 cents? Like what kind of fundamental thing? What, what would so the Fed would, have to say? It would be, it would, it would be half a percent instead of cents it would just be on a percent right in terms sure, of okay. what 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 you would get in uh interest from holding a u.s 10-year bond and you know this was reflecting uh you know gdp uh this was reflecting inflation expectations uh this was respect to, um reflecting economic growth and there's a number of catalysts i mean we have the debt ceiling we were talking about uh you know jenna yellen was voicing her concerns last week we have the uh spread of the delta variant and potentially the lambda variant um we have um we've talked about how people are very very you know bullish on um you know a lot higher levels of economic growth in 2021 maybe that starts to flatten in 2022 and we start to see a little bit of normalcy there. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of concerns about, you know, countries taking a lot of debt, whether it's in Europe, like there are some underlying factors, you know, China's been cracking down as well uh, on a number of different companies and they're putting in some, you know, reforms and regulations. So there's a potential things that could be black swans in this market. And the market, I'm not sure is pricing that in. The stock market, but the bond market is. And I've always said that the bond market is smarter than the stock market. So right now, they're not confirming each other right now. Uh, with that said, can bonds rally and the stock market rally together? Absolutely. They can, you know, uh, rally in unison for sure. Um, I just agree with I both I've, sentiments. That I think I've seen on the correlation things before that, like, at least 30% of the time, they actually do trade together directionally. 30% of the time. Well, you know what I can tell you is not going to rally if the um, if the uh, U.S. ten-year yield does go below one percent. It's going to be those cyclical names. The yield curve is going to flatten. The banks are going to make a lot less money loaning. Um, you know, if inflation expectations are you know lower than we originally expected, we all agreed on that. Uh, then I, I I think the industrials and the materials and the energy stocks would really slump, and I think companies that pay dividends would do really well because. 
when you have a company paying you like a 4% dividend, but the bond market's paying you like, as you know, Kaylin's saying 0.52%, well, aren't you incentivized to, um, aren't you incentivized to buy stocks that are paying you dividends when bonds aren't giving you anything? Good point. <clears throat> Sam, can you pull up uh, my screen? I'm doing that right. So here we go, Brandon, to Dixie. It's the first time so I've seen firstly, this Firstly, I just want to uh, really define what it is. So the U.S. dollar strength for the U.S. dollar against a basket of different currencies. It's made up of, I think, uh, over 50% is the euro, the yen, the pound, the Canadian dollar, I think, is 8 to 10%, the Swiss franc, among a bunch of others. Um, so this is a really good barometer for what the uh, U.S. dollar is doing. And, you know, as Canadian investors, we look at the UCAD. Um, but there's just a few things that we need to look at on the U.S. dollar index. So firstly, if you go to the daily time frame, the Dixie's forming a golden cross. It's going to happen imminently, probably in the next few days, um, you know, when they're, where the 50 is crossing above the 200. So that's something that I would look for as a bullish indicator. And um, uh, well, before we move on to a different time frame, what do you guys think about that, David and Kalen? About the golden yeah, I'm gonna cross. Throw this to Kalen. Um, what, what do you see on the charts? Honestly, as far as like moving averages and stuff, I've never used them in my own trading, like for crosses or anything like that. Because just personally, anytime I've tried to look into them, I always found them kind of like as lagging indicators. Um, so I'd use them like I'd use like my just lines and my normal horizontal lines and stuff like that to make a trade. And then once I'm in the trade and it's moving along, if I see something on the moving averages behind it, that's just an extra confirmation that I was right. Would you would you define this as a double bottom? So we do we are in a high. Yeah, I mean, it, kind of like, it looks like you know that like W pattern where it's going to consolidate right there and then it's going to break out a little bit higher. So yeah, it could be bullish. I mean, to be honest, for me personally, I don't I don't see anything sticking out to me that I could point out as bullish or bearish on this on this chart. So I don't know what you think, David. Uh I do. The RSI does concern me though. We we've been trending down for since mid June while the price has been kind of meandering up. What do you think, Brandon? Anything from the well, fundamentals? What we can do, guys, is pop it on a weekly time frame. Yo, coming up. Uh, I love to switch time frames because it just gives you a different picture, as we all know. Um, but if you, you know, go to the weekly time frame, we are in no man's land. We're in between the, you know, the 50 and the 200, uh, but we're closer to the bottom end of the range, which is great. You know, uh, it's 91 to 95 is that range. We're at 92. Uh, but um, I've noticed on my chart, we are starting to pick up momentum um, on the weekly chart. You know, new highs in the RSI that we haven't seen in over one year. We're making a series of new highs. So I think that there's probably a good shot that we hit that 95 level. Also, keep in mind, the U.S. dollar is a flight to safety. So if, you know, we were to see... Uh, yields stick down. If we were to see a uh, bout of volatility, the U.S. dollar is a place where uh, people all around the world uh, like to camp out in. So uh, that's a potential catalyst there. Uh, any thoughts on the weekly time frame? Um, I do see that this, that, well, this line stuck out to me, this diagonal line. It looks like we had three touches. So my opinion is, oh, my camera's dead? Okay. Well, let me keep talking while we fix that. But I mean, I see three touches here. So... My opinion is, yeah, we got a reversal, but if for any reason we come back down, I think this line's going to break. What do you think, Kalen? Yeah, you only get, like they always say, you know, first bounce is a good one to play, second one usually avoid, third one usually going through. So, 
Yeah, I think you're right there. You know, this is the second one. If we get another one, I mean, it does kind of look like lower highs as well. So, you know, it's it's tricky to tell, to be honest. Like this, it it, it kind of looks ugly to me personally. You know, I'm not. So I'm this, not is saying, like, you know. this is a key inflection point, Kalen. So, you know, we're you know trying to you know break the fifty. We're trying to make a new high right here. Uh, in my opinion, this is going to dictate a lot uh, what's going to happen in the market, or this is going to reflect, um, you know, the next move. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I could see short term, I could see it going a little bit higher on, on big picture, though, at this point, it's it's tricky to tell. Here's the on the monthly, I drew that diagonal when we were talking earlier. Mm. Looks like the USD has been trending down, although it looks like it, it had it bounced perfectly right here. March eight twenty March first twenty eighteen. Brendan, did something happen during that time? Looks like uh, USD had a bit of recovery. March first twenty eighteen. Is that what you're referring to? Yes, sir. Yep. Yeah. Well, we had um, I want to say like a, a double dip correction during that time, and that was you know corresponding to the uh, you know trade wars between uh, China and the U.S. Um, so you know that's when you saw like the VIX spike from like. The VIX was at $8 and the VIX literally, I uh, can't give you the exact number, but it went up uh, a lot during that period. And, uh, you know, people were worried about volatility and people were worried about yields. And that was actually just foreshadowing a bigger correction or actually bear market uh, that we had in late 2018. So all I'm saying is like 2018 was a very interesting year. And I see some, uh, you know, parallels between 2018 and 2021 that are to watch. But definitely, I'm getting more bullish on the U.S. dollar as a flight to safety, um, especially uh, with all of the, um, you know, potential concerns in the market. I'm just going to show this because this is a cool feature of TradingView, but I want to show this to Kaylin real quick. Because uh, so I actually, because you could turn back the clock. So I turned back the clock to where in November 2016. So let's say we don't know what's ahead, right? I drew my, my two diagonals and it gave me the, the X here. So for <laughs> me, like when I, when I see something like that, usually um that's my that's that's something i'll keep in note of as like that's going to be a special time and then you see it when you when you play forward that's exactly where it bounced off of right so those okay. diagonals there's there's something about them i don't know what it is but once you get once you get it right it seems to it seems to be pretty good at uh, predicting time you know, like the time frame that something's going to happen not necessarily yeah. what's going to happen yeah. but yeah so see, like for me personally like because i you know I, you guys have heard me say a million times in the show i don't like diagonals um i've started i've started using them more and i still don't like them but like what i mean by that what i mean by that is i don't like them because i think a lot of people play only off the diagonal so they'll draw a diagonal line you know an uptrend line or a downtrend line or whatever and as soon as the stock goes through that that's when they'll make their buy or sell but to me the horizontal lines are always so much more clear and they hold the most weight so basically what i've done to just add emphasis on my own trades is I, I use my horizontal line. So like, let's say I'm looking at a stock, I'm trying to short or whatever, and I see, you know, there's a level here, there's a level there. Like there's two, there's two kind of levels. And, you know, usually the stuff I'm playing, they're pretty far apart. So, you know, you gotta kind of commit to one. So basically what I'll do is I'll, I'll draw the uptrend line that I think is the most clear, the downtrend line or whatever. I'll have my horizontal line. And then if two of those are kind of crossing over really close to each other, then that's the one that I'll pick. So I'm still using my horizontal line to pick my to pick the main entry, and then I'll use the horizontal line as just kind of like a confirmation of which line I should put more weight in or more shares into or something like that. So I don't trade directly off the off the diagonal lines because I think there's weight they're way too subjective. 
Um, but I think horizontal lines are a lot clearer. So if you can combine those two, then like David here, I mean, you know, even even if you're combining two um, two diagonal lines, you know, that's still better. I think, in in my opinion, you always want to try and combine more and more levels, and that those are the, those are going to be the key the key points when you can make your trades off of. Well, the really cool thing about the horizontal lines is factoring like people that anchor towards price. Like everyone anchors towards a certain level. Like you get in at a certain price or you sold at a certain price. I mean, it's just a way of uh, creating these benchmarks and these sort of mental markers. Uh, so, I mean, the diagonal lines is something that you can use as a tool in your toolbox. It's not something that necessarily I use a lot, but uh, yeah, I can see the horizontal lines in terms of just, um, you know, positioning yourself with support and resistance, you know, people anchor towards price. It's something everybody does, even if you don't think that you do it. Um, it's just, um, you know, human psychology there. So I can see how that makes a lot of sense. Mm. From the fundamental side, I just want to point out, because I just saw this earlier and I think, I don't know why, but like, our Canadian news base was kind of ignoring this stuff. So South Africa has been having some riots and whatnot. There's um... there's been riots all over the world, by the way. Like over the yeah, last few days. Like France is having riots. That's right. And uh, I think that's one of the reasons that USD could be could be increasing, like the worldwide kind of unrest. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't think yeah. that we've seen. I don't think that we've seen. You know, uh, like you know, peak in anything in terms of. Uh, it seems like there's a lot of like frustration worldwide and it seems chaos right now in terms of you know where the world's heading i mean a couple months ago guys uh uh, i think it was the status quo that like you know the reopening was underway and everything was going to get better and that you know it was going to be you know back to work and back to traveling and everything else and uh there's a huge amount of like lockdown fatigue and people are just just exhausted with everything going on and uh you know a lot of um environmental things going on like there's like you know floodings in europe you know floodings in you know, China and just, um, it's just a really interesting time in the world right now. And there's just so many moving parts. Um, you know, we all thought that 2020 was crazy and we thought maybe 2021, there'd be a little bit of, uh, you know, peace and a little bit of, uh, you know, uh, more prosperity there, but we're dealing with, uh, some new concerns now as well. Yeah. Yeah. I I actually just had a memory on my phone pop up the other day. It was like, it was a couple of days ago from one year ago and it was a picture of me in the gym and I just, you know, saying good to be home. And that was after the first lockdown, I finally get back in the gym and like, I'm looking at it like, I can't believe that was a year ago and the gym's just open again, like last week. Right. Crazy. Lost years. Yeah. But, um, but going, moving forward, Brandon, you wanted to look at the, uh, break down the specific sectors in the, uh, in the S and P of the indexes. Yeah. Well, we already, kind of covered uh you know market breadth and what i was saying but this was the last five days on the uh the s p 500 so the s p was up um i i can't see on your screen it's it's super super small but it had a really really good week and you know the week before we were worried about the spread of delta and uh you know the markets like tumbled like the dow was down like 900 points uh you know a week and a half ago and this week the markets bounced back in a big way if you can just go back to that screen david so i can just uh sort of show us like, uh, yeah. So, um, from face value, it's like, yeah, it was a great week. Like, you know, eight or seven out of the, you know, 11 sectors, or most of them, um, you know, they were positive on the week, but when you look at, you know, the, you know, the three or four sectors, okay. Consu- uh, communication services, computer, uh, consumer discretionary and infotech. I mean, that literally just encompasses like six names of like the highest, you know, weighted names. I mean, you got Apple and Amazon in the consumer discretionary space. You got, you know, um, 
like Google and Facebook and uh, communication services and Snapchat and Twitter. And then in the, um, you know, the infotech, you know, maybe you have some NVIDIA or other names like that. Like it's being led by fewer and fewer names. And, uh, you know, obviously the healthcare space has done exceptionally well with, you know, fears of COVID and, um, you know, it's a very, you know, inelastic sector. Like healthcare is great uh, as a, you know, a non-cyclical, but uh, when you look at, and I'm not sure if there's a way to do this on bar chart, but we should definitely show it next week in terms of like how many points were added to the S&P based on each name. And I think you would be surprised. Like Apple had a big leak week last week, same with Microsoft and Google and Facebook. Like Facebook was up what, like 6% on Friday. So like how much of, of, of Facebook's gain and Microsoft and Google collectively uh, added to the S&P? I think a lot of people would be surprised. Holy shit. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's literally just these um, um, online advertising names, which, uh, you know, I am very bullish on. The Snapchat and the Twitter numbers were both fantastic. And it just sent these names literally into the stratosphere. It was like up 12% from the low of last week. Jeez. Exactly. So how much of the gain on the S&P just like a handful of names? Most of it, I would say. So uh, while the S&P is performing great, I would say the vast majority of names didn't really have that hot of a week. Yeah. It's like tech's, tech's doing um, pretty good. Yeah. Like Amazon really just consolidated on. Again, it was like those advertising companies. Like companies that I listed that really um, carried the majority of the load. Interesting. And that's something to watch. Like, are we going to see some follow through on these names? Uh, are we going to see the rest of the tech sector, you know, start to uh, follow suit? Or are we going to see some more consolidation and move back, you know, closer towards that 50? Yeah, here we go. You're right. Google's up like 8% for this the same period as well. Exactly. I mean, on a five-day period, that's massive. Yeah. Remember the years when you get 8% in a month, you're like, oh, that's a good month. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we've had a lot of that over the last years. And I just want to remind ourselves not to take that for granted. I know Kaylin's yeah. loving the volatility, though. <laughs> yeah. I, I was just going to say, like, I'm, I'm sitting here, like, now that I've started investing, I'm like, yeah, I get it. Like, you know, 8% a few days is crazy, but I'm still sitting over here, like, yeah, I can make, you know, 30% in like a day. <laughs> on a small way smaller position sizes than my investments though so that's the difference for sure well if that's you know your ball game and that's your wheelhouse then you know uh yeah. power to you man you gotta do it uh yeah. but when you with 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 these large caps you know we talk about the law of large numbers right and you see a name like you know facebook that has a you know a trillion dollar market cap and it's moving you know five percent in a day i mean that's that's market moving yeah, that's, that's a ton of money. I just yeah. want these, these are all the companies you want to be in long term anyway. Like, you know, that's that's what I do is I, you know, I make money in small caps and my, you know, I keep my account size relatively the same and all the money that I make, I just, I just invest in, in the quality, right? Like, so. I have the great comparison for what Kalen does. You, you're the card shark. You're, you're, you're at the table. You're, you're basically fleecing the, <laughs> the new players like the fish. Right. You, yeah. go to, you go to a table of like, you know, nine players on a poker table, five of them are probably sharks. They're taking money out of the other four's pockets. That's basically. Yeah. It. Yeah, exactly. 
That's what it's yeah, all about. Yeah, the way that I see it is that like uh, Kalen's there with like a, a very large stack, I would say, but like it's kind of like undercover. Like people don't really know that, and everyone's you know going there short stacked, and you know they're just like you know sort of coming in hot. They're super confident, you know. They're uh, you know making big bets, whatever. And Kalen's just like you know just super sneaky there, and just uh, you know kind of uh, zigs when other people zag. You know, like he's just. Uh, I love when a name pops up like what, like 17% pre-market on just some hype, you know, CNBC or whatever, just like something crazy happens. And Kalen was just like, guys, like I'm going in and uh, <laughs> I make money on that gap fill, but 99% of people are going in and 930, they're pressing the, you know, the market order buy button. And Kalen yeah. is just waiting for that opportunity to see what he sees. And then he just, and uh, it's pretty funny. Yeah. Yeah. I, I used to be that guy, man. I used to be the market order buy guy, you know, a few years back. So I've, I've paid for it and I've learned and, you know, you, you, life goes on. I feel bad for these people because they, you know, um, I can imagine that in the evenings they're getting super pumped. They're like, man, this stock was up this percent yesterday. Now it's up this much, you know, post-market, whatever. And then they're just making a whole game plan and they're hyping themselves up about how they're going to buy it in the morning. Like they can't even sleep at night. They're like dreaming about how much money that they're going to be making. And like, you know, like they're sitting at their computer with like their cup of coffee at like 8.30, just like doing like market research, whatever research. Yeah. I don't really know what that is. Like 9.30, they're like just so excited, so excited. And then, they, you know, it starts to, you know, go up for like a minute or two. And then they're like, oh man, like my 5% gain is going to turn to like a 500. And they're just, and then all of a sudden, just like wicks, lower highs, lower lows type thing. And just, slowly filling that gap and that's when Kalen's uh bank accounts you know starting to really increase in value yeah, <laughs> yeah. Totally. i'd love to you know have a psychologist or something on the show and just literally <laughs> explain what's happening in that guy's mind during that time man i would I'm love like, I'm still remember those, i still remember those days i would love to talk to an actual psychologist like uh, Brandon, I don't know if you were on the show like at the beginning when I was talking about this, but I was telling David like when I first started, I, I like I didn't know anybody that invested, I didn't know anybody that traded. I just like got wind of small caps through Twitter, and I was like, oh, I'm gonna you know I'm gonna make my own fortune, right? And like literally when I first started trading, I remember I would sit on I'd sit on Seeking Alpha in the morning, and I'd just scroll through, and there'd be news articles coming out, and I'd see you know because they say the percentages are up or whatever, and be pre market, and I'd look, and it would say oh, you know, so-and-so biotech thing got FDA approval and it was up like 80%. And I'm like, okay, well, like that, that all sounds legitimate. So I'm just going to buy this thing, right? I didn't even have charts. Like I didn't even know you could get real-time charts or anything. So I was literally just like, I had my, my broker and it would just tell me like, it would just tell me the dollar value. So I'd just be able to see the tape. I wouldn't be able to see the charts. And I would sit there and I'd just buy it at the open and then I'd watch and I'd just see the, the numbers like tick up for a little bit and then you know I'd, maybe i'd sell it in a couple seconds make a few bucks and then sometimes the bottom would just fall out of it and it would drop like 20 percent in the blink of an eye and you know those was, was those were rough times <laughs> for sure but at least you learned that gaps fill and yeah. especially with these smaller cap companies when i'm not sure how much volume um it takes for a company you know to you know gap up at the open and i'm not sure if it's like you know some sort of organized you know sort of pump scheme or whether it's like i don't really know what takes up these companies but if it has like a 50 million dollar market cap or whatever i can tell you it's not a lot um really? and i i just i don't like this action that's going on in the market i feel like there's a lot of retail money that's just chasing and they're they're calling themselves day traders but you know that's really not what they are because 
I really respect a guy like uh, Kalen that, you know, has, you know, learned really from the school of hard knocks and he's uh, really educated himself um, and, uh, you know, made a little bit of a name for himself doing this. So I just find it, uh, you know, pretty funny that everyone wants to be a, you know, a day trader now, just like, you know, you know, back when we were, were kids, someone wants to be like a football player, or like, you know, a basketball player. Now it's like day trader because we're in a bull yes. market. So yeah. it, uh, I, ask, appreciate that, man. <laughs> I want to, I was curious, uh, let's say companies like a small cap, I don't know, hundred, hundred million. How much would, uh, how many shares would it take to move that thing? Um, not much, like depending on the, like, usually the stuff that I play is like, I like like a hundred, 150 million market cap or less. It's usually kind of like my bread and butter zone, but like, I mean, you know, for stuff to be moving like really volatile, like, I mean, if you're trading like, you know, five, 600,000 shares in like a one minute bar, like that's like, that thing's moving real good. Like, so even if it's own, sorry, uh, as a percentage of the float, is there commonality? Um, it depends. Like, you know, if, if you're looking if you're looking strictly at like the float, like if, if a float's rotating, which means like it's trading, the sh it's traded more shares than the float. So if it's like a 3 million float and by like, you know, market open, the stock's already traded like 5 million shares, like rule of thumb is don't short it. Cause like that thing is, that thing just has way too much attention for what it's worth. And it's probably like if anything, look for a long trade. Um, but yeah, like for the most part, I mean, you know, if a stock is like, I don't know, 30 million float, 20 million float or something like that. Like if it's like the first big day of the, of the stock, like on average, you'll probably get anywhere from, I don't know, 40 to maybe 60, 70 million shares traded. So it might like, it might kind of double throughout the course of the whole day sort of thing. And that's, that's like a, probably a pretty typical average. So that's some free advice for those uh, want to be day traders. I'm advocating David. Most people actually not try to do that and just stay away from it. But I, I, I can't give these people advice, so they're just gonna have to make their own mistakes. Um, but I can almost assure you that nine out of ten people will fail doing what Caitlin does. So yeah, uh, I would I would agree with that. Probably probably more like nine and a half out of ten. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, yeah even, even more than that. But you know, I want to give people the benefit of the doubt, and if that's what they um, you know, they want to do, but it's like, uh, you know, the old quote, I mean, I, in the stock market, uh, you know, you go to a dinner party or you go to some sort of party, people ask you what you do. And uh, you say you work in the stock market. And when it's a bear market, man, no one wants to talk to the guy that works in the stock market. That's boring. But when you're yeah. in a bull market, man, you're everybody's best friend. People are asking you for stock tips. Actually, people are giving you stock tips, even though yeah. they don't, they don't work in the financial sector. And, you know, you, you know, I've been doing this for a very, very long time. And, uh, uh, you know, you start to see how people's psychology changes and you start to see sentiment. And, um, you know, when everyone wants to be a day trader, kind of, uh, it's interesting. Mm -hmm. So playing on that, though, I want to touch on uh, scams. I, I know you didn't, you, I'm not sure if you wanted to talk about this, but I think it was important because because of what we, we were just talking about, that whole like thing where this new generation wants to be day traders, I blame, I put a lot of the blame on those assholes that go on YouTube and put those like, oh, I'm here on my laptop, I'm like vacation, I'm just day trading an hour a day and I'm making like 10 grand, to, you know, whatever, right? So I blame those scams. So it's like touching on that, like, uh, I don't know if you wanted to touch on, because um, it's happened to me before. Uh, somebody will message me and say, hey, can you check this out? And some like Instagram account will message them and say, hey, we're looking for investors for a company. It's not even crypto. It's an actual company, like re 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 renewable energy and whatnot. And it's like, 
how are they how are they issuing shares when you're not registered you know what i mean like if you want to touch on that brandon like those types yeah of scams. I, I i do think that in a way it's kind of the wild wild west i've gotten a lot of feedback from a lot of people on our show and i'm sure that you guys have too basically that we're giving an honest unbiased opinion more of a commentary uh but we're not uh, giving people advice in terms of stocks to buy stocks to sell um i think there needs to be more regulation on what's going on and you know on social media regarding you know um financial advice you know uh, people are um from what i'm hearing uh you know like streaming their day trading and everything like that's just absurd man um mm -hmm. yeah especially when it comes to cryptocurrency like there were a lot of coins that, you know, some big celebrities were advocating people get into. Like, uh, was it Jake Paul that was uh, big into SafeMoon? Might have been. Yeah, I'm not sure if it was one of you guys telling me, but we've seen a lot of coins. Okay, let's just talk about BitConnect. You guys remember BitConnect? Yeah. Mm -hmm. What did you think Ponzi about that? Well, it was a, clearly a Ponzi scheme, but but I think even the people, most of the people that invested, kind of deep down knew it was a Ponzi scheme, but like the return. Maybe some of the people that got in at a certain uh, earlier on, but you know, you know, if it's a Ponzi scheme or a pyramid scheme, you know, uh, those guys at the bottom of the pyramid, they actually thought it was literally a life altering financial decision. Yeah. I don't know how many of these you see, Caitlin, but like their, their advertiser was literally like, we have this proprietary algorithm that will trade your Bitcoin for you. So give us your Bitcoin and we're just going to generate like 30% returns or, you know, for you like yeah. week after week. I hate that shit, man. Like I saw, I, I, I was looking into a few of those like a, a couple months ago, like about these, like, you know, pay for our, uh, you know, algorithmic electronic trading service. And like, you know, you just put your money in our account and then it shows, you know, videos where it like, charts going along and it says oh here it sold and here it bought and all this stuff like i mean to me like that's just such garbage because you you can never tell what's going to happen in the stock market like all it takes is one person to just dump a big position and that whole thing is just goes out the window like it's not going to work it's it's as long as as long as humans are the biggest traders in the market you'll never be able to make a machine that can trade profitably all the time in every market i just i, I just can't see that happening well, yeah, like that's the thing about Bitcoin. Like, you know, we can do all the technical analysis on Bitcoin that we want, but, you know, some, you know, regulatory news comes out or some big whale or some big holder decides to, you know, dump uh, uh, their position or a country comes out and wants to like ban whatever, like all your, you know, support lines can just literally just, you know, it can fall right through. Um, and furthermore, I saw like an even worse scam a couple months ago of like basically like advertisements with like a QR code being like, oh, this is Vitalik Buterin. Uh, if you send me one ETH for every ETH that you send me, I'll send you two. I'm doing this promotion. And it was like a video of him talking and it obviously wasn't real, but like people were legitimately sending their ETH to like a random Ethereum wallet with the promise of them getting like double the amount of ETH. And obviously that didn't, you know, come to fruition um but there's like a lot of you know different scams going on especially yeah. crypto i want to put this out there I'll, to both of you but i'll start with caitlin like at what point do you draw a line and say this scam is so stupid that if you fall for it you don't deserve your money okay so like to that point it's it's it really sucks because like for people like us like you know like 
like all three of us, like we're all financially stable. Like, you know, we've been in the markets for a while kind of thing, but like all that sort of stuff aside, like I think anybody who's like financially stable has a good job. Like, you know, they're not, they're not worrying about like paycheck to paycheck bills and stuff like that. Like they're all going to see that stuff and just say, this is stupid and just close it right away. The people that are, that I think anyways, that are are actually going to fall for that stuff. You know, it's like the same thing as those old infomercials. Like, you know, that, that like remember like way back when they were like targeting elderly folk and they were saying, oh, you know, buy these diamond earrings and they were all fake, right? Because they knew it was all the elderly people that were, you know, watching these commercials in the middle of the day and they were just taking advantage of them, basically robbing them, you know, getting them to buy fake earrings for, you know, a hundred times their value. Like it's the same thing. These, these ads are literally just preying on people that don't have a lot of money. Maybe that's all they have. And they're thinking, oh my God, if I can just give this guy like my only thousand dollars and he's going to promise me to double it. Like that thousand dollars is, is literally life-changing money. Like that's enough to pay off the credit card debts, like get you through the next month, you know, like get the Christmas presents. And then when that just disappears, like those people are even in a worse situation. It's like, it's really sad. So I don't, I don't think it's like, like, I don't think it's like an intelligence thing. Like, you know, you deserve to lose your money or whatever. I just feel like those ads are just preying on the people that are so desperate and in such a bad situation already that they're not even thinking because they're so willing to just do anything to get out of that situation. Right. Cause it like, it's, it's, it's gross. Like it, it's really gross. I don't know how people can do that. So I can relate to what you're saying, Kalen. I mean, we're all very familiar with the fitness industry and it's like people, you know, on social media or infomercials, or whatever, promising that you can lose a lot of weight by drinking like a special detox tea or like a, a special proprietary protein shake. Or there's like a, uh, you know, little gadget or machine that you can use and you, you can get a six pack in 30 minutes. Like it's the same exact thing. It's like people that are desperate to achieve uh, some sort of goal um, and they're offering you some sort of quick, easy way to um, achieve that goal. When in reality, um you know the most um effective way to you know have a path to success is to put in the work and to you know put in time and you know um just like uh you know when you're managing a portfolio um you know these things take years to play out they take decades to play out and that's the um the um best pathway to success like i think i was uh warren buffett said that uh he doesn't want to get rich quick he wants to get rich for sure and I think, uh, you know, that's really what it comes down to. Yeah. The I'm fitness. Really sad, guys, I feel bad for these people. I genuinely do. It pisses me off when I see like same thing you said with the fitness industry, Brennan. And like, I mean, the problem even with that to a bigger, a bigger standpoint is that it's happening like in mainstream media. Like I was, I was yeah. literally in the grocery store on the weekend and I saw a magazine sitting there. I was like one of the fitness digests had, you know, a picture of some celebrity girl on it or whatever. And it was like, you know, follow this program and see how I lost 27 pounds in 30 days. I'm like, that's in these people because I feel like they, one, they don't know any better, but two, also, they're just so desperate. Yeah. Well, like, let, me, let, me put it to, let me put it to you this way. Like, you know, like, like David, you and I both prep for bodybuilding shows. Like my last one, it took me six months to lose 40 pounds of fat, like to prep, to be on stage. It took me six months to lose 40 pounds the right way. And I was healthy and I was shredded and it like, you know, I was losing, you know, one pound a week, sometimes two pounds a week. There was a couple of weeks I wouldn't lose any weight. And the way I did it, I didn't take, you know, a million pills. I didn't take a million caffeine supplements. I literally just ate less and I moved more and it takes a long time, but that's it. Like that, that's as simple as it. You take in less than you're putting out. 
And you can't do that in a month and lose that much weight. Or yeah, you could, absolutely. but just ruin your body, though. Yeah, and then you would you just bounce right back, and it would be even worse. Like you know, they put you on these pills that like they a lot of these pills. I you know we're kind of a little bit of a rant, but just a quick point on fitness stuff. <laughs> this drives me insane go, too. Go for it. So, go for so I really like it. Yeah. So just just so everybody knows, like a lot of the times, anytime you're seeing these magazines and stuff, they're like, oh, you know, take these diet pills, quote unquote, and you're gonna lose you know ten pounds in a week. Those are diet. Those are diuretics. They're water pills. So all they're doing is they're just making your body cut a ton of water. It's being incredibly hard on your kidneys. And then the second you stop taking those pills, because you haven't lost a single ounce of fat, you're immediately just going to put that water back on, which your body needs to be healthy, and you'll be back up to the same weight. And then you're going to get all depressed because you don't think you lost any weight because you didn't lose any weight in the first place. You just got, you're just basically really dehydrated. Yeah, yeah. But so the reason I put that out there is because like I'm quite, I lean towards quite being like a libertarian, not on the left. I'm not about bubble wrapping, band-aiding people. And I'm like, at what point do you just say, like, do people need to admit, like, you made a stupid mistake and the only way through it is not to, like, I understand the, the I, making a mistake because you're desperate, but, but, like, don't continue making desperate mistakes. If you make it once in any area of your life, you should realize that's not the path to go. You know what yeah. I mean? Right. So, yeah, I, so. I, I do, like, really agree with your sentiment and, you know, ways i'm a libertarian too but um we've talked about you know living within the system and i think just like the proliferation of the internet and social media and you know trading apps like Robinhood and everything else it's just it really is the wild wild west and we need just a little bit more oversight we need a little bit more regulations people have to educate themselves you know if you want to uh you know um, take control of your own financial situation um, I think watching the Jacked of All Trades podcast is definitely a great place to start where you will get an unbiased point of view. You'll learn a lot and uh, especially in really is uncharted territories yeah, in, a, yeah. um, in an interesting way because uh, we've, we've never been so connected. The world's never been so global. There's never been such free access to financial markets as there's ever been. And there's a lot of uh, snake oil salesmen and there's a lot of, uh, you know, people, you know, trying to scam you and take your money. And I think you just now more than ever need to be just more and more cautious. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that, you know, the one thing that we always kind of talk about on the show a million times and it really goes with investing or fitness or business or pretty much anything, you know, it's 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 across the board is it just it takes time. I mean, you got to you got to actually learn how to do something like there's. There is ways to make money quick. Yeah, you can walk into a casino and, you know, win the lottery. Yeah, you can get a lottery ticket. Like, you know, yeah, you can bet big on a stock and make a whole whack load of money, but that's going to go just as quick as it comes in if you don't know what to do with it. So, like, the best way to set yourself up for, you know, fitness or business or financials or anything is you have to take the time to learn how to do it. It's, it's literally no different than going to school for four years to get an engineering degree or a business degree and then you have all that skill to go out into the world and do that job. You know, you can't just you can't just expect to graduate high school and walk into a hundred thousand dollar salary job right out the gate as an architect because you can't do it. Like you just want you, yeah, okay, sure, maybe you'll get that first paycheck, that second paycheck, but then you're gonna get fired when they know you don't know what you're doing. It's the exact same thing. Yeah, I, I would agree with that a hundred percent. Um, I, I was gonna say like I had a conversation yesterday with uh, with Jeff, the owner of FE. And uh, he, he's like saying like, it's tough because he's got a 
now pay a bunch of money to get uh, yearly inspections for the HVAC system and whatnot. He's like, you could not do it, but then you risk the HVAC not working. Then you could have a lot of issues with that. Right. And mm -hmm. it's like, it goes back to what we were saying. It's like, you might have to pay a little in early on in terms of time and maybe even money, but it pays dividends later on. Right. And you could get better and smarter and faster later on. So you sacrifice a little speed now for longer term gain. Yeah. Right. And then I was just, uh, I made a joke when he said that. I was like, well, the, the, the way that people should look at it from a practical perspective, it's like, if I don't um, do the checkup on the duct, realistically speaking, it's a relatively new building. I'm gambling, but it's most likely not going to cause any issues. To that, I say, just look at your life <laughs> realistically and say, am I that lucky? Because when I look at my life, I'm like, I'm not that lucky. I, if, any, if I get luck, it's bad luck. So I'm never going to push my luck with something stupid like that. Yeah. yeah, I always like to just have all my all my stuff sorted out too. I don't like gambling or taking risks. You know, it was funny enough to say as you know, guys who are traders and stuff. Like, I don't like taking risks. Like, I like to I like to be pretty confident in what I'm doing and have a pretty good chance of making money or making sure something's going to work out or making sure my car is not going to fall apart or you know whatever it is. You're a professional gambler. Professional. Yes. yes. <laughs> that's right so i think we're gonna wrap it up here guys anything else you guys want to touch on yeah i just want to say it's going to be a really exciting week it's going to be market moving with the fed minutes and with the earnings and we're going to definitely have a lot of stuff to talk about next week so everybody stay tuned take care yeah.